The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every Wednesday from 10 to 11 Eastern Time live. And uh, we archive the show at the end of the day, and then you can download it on an MP3 and listen to The Catherine Zox Show anytime you want. I have two guests this morning. My two guests are Christine Miller, and her book is her new book is Fun Without Dick and Jane, Your Guide to a Delightfully Empty Nest, which is obviously very appropriate now since all these kids are graduating from college and uh, leaving the nest. Um, my second guest is Maureen Keeley. She's the author uh, of a book about parenting, and her book is an interesting book because, well, we've got two books about parenting, actually, today. Hers is Growing Happy Kids, How to Foster Inner Confidence, Success, and Happiness, and she uses uh, the five building blocks of confidence. We're going to find out what those are so that you can raise happy, satisfied kids and successful as well. But first, my first guest is Christine Miller. Fun Without Dick and Jane. I keep wanting to say Fun With Dick and Jane, but Fun Without Dick and Jane, your guide to a delightfully empty nest. Uh, Christine also is the author of The Three Martini Playdate, which you may have read, and she's a frequent contributor to the New York Times Psychology Today. Um, She says that letting go is not an easy thing to do, not an easy thing to do for parents, but she believes an empty nest can equal a newly fulfilled life, and I agree with her. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Christine. Well, thank you very much. How and are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, I know you've been drinking your coffee, as you mentioned, before the show. We got a chance to chat for a few minutes because it is you are not on Eastern Time. You are on Western Time or California Time. I am. I'm waking up with all of you this morning. Um, yeah, so, so uh, and as you mentioned, coffee's good for us, so I'm yes. so happy to be drinking my coffee. All right, so fun without Dick and Jane. Uh, and uh, interesting because I think a lot of parents... And as I said to you before, I mean, I have three kids, so I have been through it, the empty nest syndrome. Mm-hmm. And um, when I read your book, I thought, well, this is really on target, because I think a lot of parents do struggle when their kids leave home and even feel guilty that they may be able to have a good time without Dick and Jane. <laughs> well, you know, I think, uh, as you mentioned, I wrote a book called The Three Martini Playdate a few years ago, and um, I, I look at this book as sort of a bookend to that uh, little series I wrote because um, there, you know, just as sort of at the time I wrote that book, there was sort of a parenting industry that sprang up, had, had you know, suddenly you had to childproof your house and suddenly you were not sending your children to enough enrichment programs and you know it, it it all became about your child and i think for those people who didn't read my book you know <laughs> their kids are graduating or moving out of the house or going off to college and they're suddenly you know it's like oh my god i've been involved in every aspect of my child's life since they were born and now what do i do and a lot of them 
continue to be involved in every aspect of their child's life and, you know, want to get an apartment near campus and, and you know, keep their kids tracked on their GPS and, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. So, so your book is, Christine, your book is an, uh, uh, what should I say, an antidote? Anti, is it an antidote? I don't know. To the helicopter parents, hey, it's time to let go. And if you let go, good things are going to happen to you, and you're going to tell us what they are and how we can do it. Yes, that's that. You said it very well. That's exactly right. And I've I've been tr- I've been saying this. It's like spitting in the wind, you know, for for the last yes. ten years. The, the sort of like you guys relax. You have a child. You bring them into your life. You. You do the best you can, you send them out into the world, and, you know, presumably you've had a life all along. And But there are a lot of people who do not continue to have their own lives, and they really, you know, once their kids go off to college and they really are left with an empty nest, I think it's really hard for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I was sort of clued in when um, a couple of years before my oldest child went off to college, there there was, you know, college nights at, uh, at his high school and I think it was probably a year before they were all going off, and I ran into one of the moms, and she said, I don't know what I'm going to do when Seth leaves home. And I just sort of went, well, I can think of a few things. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Want to <I> talk? <laughs> so, you know, I think I think a lot of parents are just, their lives have been wrapped around their children for so long, they really don't know what to do with themselves. All right, so this book is going to tell us what to do, what what you should do. Do you first have to go through the grieving process? Is there some kind of a grieving process, and how long should it take? You know, your kid leaves. Even if you know what you want to do and you have a lot to do, because I think I was one of those parents. It took me mm-hmm. about three months to get over it and, oh, yeah. or to get used to it. I don't know about get over it, but get used to it and to be able to say, wow, I can do all these things. I don't have to go to another soccer game. I don't have to go to another <laughs> swim meet. I don't have to go to another music recital, you know, and, and it was like, I kind of like this, you know, which is yeah. what you're saying in the book, yeah. Well, so, I, think the, I think the grieving process, as you call it, is, is probably a, very different for, for each person and um, for each parent. I, I, I do address the fact that I think, um, you know, just as the parenting industry sprang up around, you know, years ago around, you know, like, if if you now that you're a parent you're a bad parent if you don't have this product or do this i think there's now this um sort of empty nest uh industry about like you really are feeling sad and depressed you need to have this support group and you you know and then you're suddenly you're identifying yourself as an empty nest mother forever and i think that that is a a little bit of a danger i do understand that i think everybody goes through a, a grieving process, whatever it is, of sort of like leaving that part of themselves maybe behind or, you know, realizing that their child really is moving on and that it's time for them to to move on with their lives. And so, you know, everyone's going to deal with that differently, and I certainly think you need to deal with actual feelings of depression. You know, you're right. I think as I'm listening to you, grieving is not really a good word because it really does associate it with something kind of, you know, like death and dying or something horrific. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe grief is, is, is just overused and it's not a good word. It's an adjustment, but not necessarily a grieving process. I, I agree. It's, yeah. it's a change, and change is a wonderful thing and can be a wonderful thing. And I think, yeah, by, so, by calling it, a, you know, a grief thing and that you are, you know, you're an empty nest. And then there's this sort of emphasis on the, the negative aspects of, you know, you 
sort of licking your wounds at home while your child is going off. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this picture. Because I think, um, you know, I, so I'm sort of straddling the two worlds. I still have a child at home uh, who's, who's uh, in high school, and I have one off at college. And, um, you know, as I say in the book, it's not that I'm counting the days and minutes and hours until he's, um, go, you know, off. But, um, there, but you are. There, this is good. This is good time to to start planning ahead, and I have yeah. a lot of plans, and you know, and it doesn't mean that I don't love my child. It doesn't mean that I don't want him around. We have a lot of fun. He's a great kid, you know. Um, I'm I'm certainly enjoying these last you know few years that I have with him, but um, you know, I also have a busy life, and I don't spend every minute um, you know, kind of circling his world. Yeah, and I think one of the other pieces to that is, you know, I mean, I had three, have three boys, but by the time the last one was ready to leave senior year, there were other reasons why I was, you know, seniors, he's not here by himself, so he's got girlfriends and boyfriends and all this, and I'm thinking, I, at this point, don't want to be responsible for these 18-year-old kids. I think I've had enough. They're adults. Yeah. And that was another piece. So it's time to go, and it is really time to be in an your own adult environment, and I don't necessarily, you know, with all the stuff that accompanies teenagers and 18-year-olds and, you know, sex and Mm -hmm. alcohol and all that stuff, time to get out of the house and be on your own, you know, because it's not just your kid, it's also all of the, his friends or her friends as well, who you're involved with. Well, absolutely, and also let's not forget the fact that I, I think p- parents sometimes don't realize that they're not doing their kids any favors by continuing to, you know, be controlling their lives and, and hovering over them and, and, you know, being those helicopter parents because the fact is there there are kids now these days who go off to college who still don't know how to, you know, navigate a city or take a bus across town or or, you know, get their own phone line put in their apartment or interview for a job or, you know, whatever it is. They, they're they so used to their parents doing everything for them. And I think um, if if the parent could remind him or herself that, you know, actually I'm doing my child a favor by extricating myself from the situation and, and um, you know, it's I think a good one, thing. Christine, you know, I think, I think that schools may, I don't know, I know that one of the reasons they do this is to, to raise money uh, and they want to keep parents connected to this kid's college. But, I mean, you know, the kid, your your son or daughter goes to college, and then, you know, three weeks later, four weeks later, it's parents' weekend, parents' weekend at college. <laughs> yes. And I was all, what is this? I mean, we never had parents' weekend at college. I went to a big city. I went to Boston University. I mean, mm-hmm. I if my parents wanted to come visit me, they did or they didn't, but we didn't have parents' weekend. These oh, kids, right. Yeah. And no, it's, it's crazy. And they, and they even now have, when you drop your kid at college, they have these sort of, it's not just a day or two of, okay, let's get used to the fact that, you know, you're leaving your child here at college and they're going to be away for the first time. They have these actual, you know, week-long seminars for parents to, to you know, go through this process of understanding that they're going to be leaving their child. And I'm just sort of thinking that, you know, whatever happened to, you know, hey, this is, you're launching your kid. It's a wonderful thing. Let them have their time and yeah, well, if you've been such a great parent, then maybe, and we'll assume that you have, and you've, your kids are able, and they are, you know, uh, able to handle things on their own, make their own choices, and you have to let them do that. Yeah. But, um, but I want to get back to the book, like, specifically, because, okay, there are some parents who, I guess, simply are not able to do this. 
And so that's what fun without Dick and Jane is all about. So mm-hmm. you're okay. So let's you know, let's talk about some of the specifics in the book. Like what would the parent do who who is having difficulty? Because maybe the kid, their child, really isn't having difficulty. They're in college. They're happy wherever they are. But you know, mom or dad or both or or, or, or two moms or two dads, whoever it is, or at home are sitting there saying, "Okay, now what do we do?" Yeah. Well, um, you, you know, I think that first of all, remind yourself that if if you really do, you know, this, the fact that you have launched it, if you've launched your child successfully, that's a good thing for you. Pat yourself on the back. And if your child is happy, then you should be ecstatic that you have done such a good job. Because I think, you know, that was my biggest thrill when I realized that I'm not hearing from my oldest son because he loves college. Isn't that a good thing? That's a wonderful thing. You know, yeah. I mean, we should all be thankful and, and hopeful that that happens. I think, um, you know, well, what do you do? I think you you first have to um, you know look at the bright sides. Like, well, is you know the 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 fact that you won't be turning off every light in the house as you walk through it, and and you know you won't have to help your child or agonize with him over homework every night, and uh, you know you won't have to share a bathroom. There are lots of there are lots of upsides to very having practical your, upsides. Practical upsides to having your house back. You don't again. have to make dinner for someone. It, it's not a requirement. Yeah. Right? It, you don't have to make sure that there's breakfast food available. I mean, uh, you know, there's a whole slew of things like you're talking about not turning off the lights and yeah. Uh, oh, and, and the, the meals. I mean, honestly, the, the one of the huge, especially if you have boys, I have boys as well. <laughs> and there's the whole, you know, just the fact that wow, I don't have to have three giant meals a day. I can, you know, I can, um, I don't have to be there, have snacks in the fridge for, you know, I can kind of nibble on some brown rice and a piece, you know, a piece of zucchini if I want to at nine o'clock and call it dinner. <laughs> I don't have to have gallons of ice cream or gallons of orange juice, or I don't have to go yeah. to the grocery store and spend tons of money, but also spending the time. It's not only the money, but the time, especially with boys, I think, because they do eat a lot, and so do their friends when you've got the whole team in the house. That's lots of time at the grocery store. That's lots of extra time, money um, that's your your own. Yes, yeah, yeah, and that that is another thing, I think, for a shock for a lot of people to realize how much more time is your own, and and it and it's yeah, it's a it's a difficult transition for some people, and you know, for me, who there's just not enough time in the day to get all the things done that I like to get done, you know, it's it's um, there's certain things I'm just licking my chops, just sort of ways like, oh, wow, I'm gonna, I can't wait to do this, this, and this, and this, when I have more time to do that. But, um, and I think also spontaneity. I was, you know, when your oh, yeah. when your friend calls and says, "Hey, you want to do something Saturday night or Friday night?" Or you can, it's up to you if you want to do it, or if you have other commitments. That's that. Those are your commitments, but it's not like you also have to be connected to your children's commitments because you have to, you know, be engaged. Yeah. You know, and that's a whole other piece that I always like. Yeah, you also absolutely. say one of the things which I think is really important in the book is to rediscover. One should rediscover their own lost interests and find new goals. Like if all your interests have surrounded your kids or been focused on your kids, now you can say, well, what did I, what are my talents or what did I used to do or what do I like to do? Well, yeah. And in fact, um, there are a lot of things that we did with our children. For instance, I'm just as an example, the fact that, you know, let's say you, you have your, your child has been taking music lessons for all these years. And, um, you know, let's say your child got into taking piano or violin or cello or whatever it was, because you really secretly wanted to be that musician and you never 
could or never did or never had the time, and now your child's gone. And, well, you know, you actually have a lot more knowledge than you think you do if you've been listening to them practicing for the last five or six years or whatever. Um, and maybe that's something you, you know, you, you would want to take up again and, and um, pick, pick up where your child left off. And um, travel is another thing that I think a lot of people, you know, it's, they've sort of settled in and, and forget that, wow, now you actually have the time and you don't have to plan vacations around what the kids want to do or, you know. You can take a vacation that's not based on spring vacation, Christmas vacation. Yeah. Yes, you are free to take a vacation when not, you know, not during all the school year vacations. That's a big one. That's a but really big one. Now, if you work, you know, and you're still working and you're not yet a retired person, there are still those constraints, but there's still, you know, there's so much more spontaneity and uh, and and that's that's a fun thing to get used to, definitely. Yeah, and they're your constraints. I mean, you don't. Yeah. Your life is not. You don't have to include so many other people in the mix when you're making decisions about where to go to dinner, what kinds of activities you want to do, what kind of trips you want to take. But I think the big one is, and maybe this is something that a lot of couples partners have to deal with, is their own relationship. Because now the focus becomes more on their, if they if they're not a single parent. If you're a single parent, then you have other issues. Yeah, uh, maybe being alone and or feeling that you're alone that may be difficult. But also then, you know, that presents a whole other set of of, of I don't want to say problems, but issues. Yeah, it's, so it's you've got different. that. Yeah. So what do you do? You're a single parent, let's say, and you have you know, and now the last one is gone. Um, maybe you're lonely or is. You know, yeah, well, that's, yeah. I think that that is a, a, especially for single parents who many of whom I think have have a lot invested in their children because that's what you know they they weren't it wasn't sort of um, you know a one big family or you know a, a spouse to share the parenting duties with. So there's it's uh, it can be very difficult I would imagine when your child is going off and um, you still want to be really involved. So I think that's, you know, all the more reason to, if you haven't already started, you know, taking your life back, then now is definitely the time to do it. And as far as rediscovering your spouse, you know, there's, <laughs> I think that's, that's definitely an issue for a lot of people who, you know, have spent the last 18 years talking about nothing but their children with their spouse or, you know, who, who's, who's going to drive who, where, and who's going to take the kid to soccer practice while the other one goes to you know, the, the school dance and et cetera. And then suddenly you wake up and it's like, who is this guy that I thought this would be such a good idea to have kids with and now I have no idea who he is anymore. Maybe um, he was just uh, the guy to have kids with. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what <laughs> I think a lot of people discover. It's yeah, like, oh, my God, that's, that. all, that's all we had in common after all. Or I want another, can... Christine, another, Chris, uh, another uh, piece to that was I found that a lot of, besides my partner, and uh, yes, he and I had to kind of reevaluate our relationship, but also I think I reevaluated my relationships that I had with friends because a lot of the friends that I had were connected, were mothers or fathers or uh, of, the, of my, my kids' friends, yeah. and did a lot of you know, because there was so much activity involved with the kids, it was also with the, the parents, and realizing that, you know what, I don't have maybe that much in common with these people, and now yeah. I can really choose my own friends based on my own interests. That was a huge piece for me. 
That, that's a huge one because, you yeah. know, how many people do we know that we met when our kids were in preschool together? And it's sort of like, and it was so great because we had this thing in common. Their kid, you know, our kids were friends. And we, when we knew when we, you know, we had enough in common so that if we hung out, the kids could play and everything was fine. But then it's true, you, you, you know, at some point you, you do outgrow some of these um, old friends when you realize that, oh, my God, that's all we ever did have in common. And, in fact, some of your other friends dropped by the wayside. And, you know, we, we have some, we have single friends who have no children, which, you know, a lot of couples with kids do not have friends who don't have children. They don't have single friends. And I think it's really important to, um, if you used to have some of those friends, tr- you know, look them up again. <laughs> maybe re- maybe there, are, there are reasons why they were your friends and you need to rediscover that. Or be open to, you know, meeting new people. Yeah, I think very good point, and I have done that. I mean, I have uh, probably two girlfriends who never married, never had kids, just, you know, very career-oriented, and I've reconnected with them. Mm-hmm. And that I do, you know, I have very specific interests that I have, that I pursue, and then I meet single people at those, you know, activities or whatever. And I don't have to do this whole couples thing, and it just opens up a whole new world of, of um relationships, really, I think, that are just based on my own interests and what I like to do and who I want to be with. Yes, yes, it, it, it really does. And I think... I'm a narcissist. Oh, I turn right back into a narcissist. Yeah, right. Well, you know, maybe maybe you let go of that for too long, and I think there, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a narcissist if you are suddenly, you know, just wanting to do things for yourself. I think that it's a... It's a you, maybe you didn't have enough balance while you were being a, 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 a mom and... You know, it's it's always good to have that balance, and I I think it's good to have the the balance when you are a parent, and to you know, have, you know, have your life while you're a parent. But um, you know, if you have gone so far into being a parent that you have lost sight of your life, then now is the perfect time to get it back. And it, and you know, I also in my book mention rediscovering um, fashion, for instance, which is, you know, there there are so many reasons why this new chapter can be a new chapter and even though it sounds kind of frivolous that you can take off the mom jeans and try something that you've never tried before but it's you know fashion is sort of another indicator of you know it's another way to be creative it's another way to kind of change things up after kind of getting in a rut yeah i think that's very true and you have time to shop and you have time to tweak your wardrobe, and all of this involves a lot of time, I think. Mm-hmm. Is what, you know, you may have the interest and the energy, but you never had the time, and, and now really the time is more available to you. Now, we, what about, though, and you talk about this in the book, let's say are the, you know, your children have gone off to college, you've, you really have done all the things that you mention in the book, and we're not going to talk about all of them because we want people to go out and get the book, <laughs> But what happens, because this is an adjustment, too, when the kids come back, because they do come back. They come back for holidays. They come back for, you know, breaks. They surprise yeah. you. They, you know, bring kids home for the weekend. It, and sometimes that's not easy once you've sort of adjusted to the fact that um, the yeah. house is yours now. You know, Once, you, one once kid, you've made that room over into yeah. a, a craft room, <laughs> it's like... You have you have your computers in there, whatever the, whatever you've put in, you know. Right. And suddenly your kid comes home and his room or her room isn't there anymore. Well, as you said, they do come back, and I think that's good, pretty much a given that that you know they do come back. And it's not like when we were I don't know I I remember like I never moved back home after once I was in college I went to college and 
graduated and, you know, moved on because that's sort of... But I realize a lot of kids these days, there's just an economic factor that there wasn't then so much, um, and kids are moving back home in addition to the fact that they do come back for every, you know, holiday seems to be... <laughs> it's like, is it Thanksgiving already? Oh, my God. But, um, yeah, so I... I you know, that's, again, one of those things that if your kid, let's say, moves back after or even just comes back for the whole entire summer, it's, it's you know, maybe you want to think about not getting back into those, the same roles that you had before as far as, um, you know, maybe it's in everyone's economic interest for the child to move back home. But if that's the case, okay, so you, you can't afford a, you know, $1,500 apartment, but you could afford to chip in some rent, and you're going to do your own laundry, and you're going to, you know, buy the groceries, and here are your list of chores, because you're our roommate now. And if you're going to be our roommate, you are going to have to, you know, pull your own weight. So, um, you know, that's just something to think about if, if, it's, if it's one of those things that, well, you don't mind so much having your kid living with you, but you can't turn into um, the, the, the running the motel again. So, yeah, well, There are different rules of the game, and I think you have to be very clear about that. The rules have changed, and I think that's what I hear you saying. You're yeah. coming back, you're living here, but you're not living here like you did when you were in high school. And so the game is very different, although I could never picture my boys ever wanting to live with me again on a long-term <laughs> basis. Yeah. Nor, I mean... I think it works both ways. I adore them. I love them. But uh, I'd uh, rather chip in for them living with somebody else or two or three other people rather than with me. But, yeah, um, yeah I think and, but, and but I, I think, think that's, that's a, in a lot of cases, um, I think that is something that parents need to watch out for because I think, you know, if it's one thing, if it's, an, if it's a, a desperate economic situation, but a lot of times it's just, oh, it's just easier. Oh, they're back. And, oh, we're having so much fun. And, you know, but then you realize, oh, my God, your child is 24 years old and you're still making them snacks. And <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> yeah. The, and I, I repeat, the rules have to change. Mm-hmm. It's a different, you know, the rules of the game, and they do have to change. And I think that's really, uh, that's important if, if they do have to come back. Or, and if yeah. they, yeah, whether they, for financial reasons, and perhaps if they don't for financial reasons, maybe rethink it mm-hmm. and, and not have them move back necessarily. Yes, yeah. Yes, so that there, that the whole, it's, a, it's a whole new chapter and, uh, in your life, and, and in, you know, this is your time to just, you know, think about all the, it's, you know, it should be a positive time. As you say, celebrate the jubilation, enjoy it, um, and just move on happily to the next part of your life, which, um, you know, sometimes it's just, you have to, and I go back to maybe what we talked about in the beginning, because we only have a couple minutes left, but I really do think, and maybe particularly moms, I don't know if this is, true or not, but I think they feel guilty about being happy, about saying, you know, they feel perhaps they're being too selfish or they, you know, and there is a lot of, I see that a lot, or I've seen that even in my clinical practice when I used to do it, but feeling guilty about the fact that, wow, I'm enjoying this, you know, I love having my house uh, to myself or with my partner or my spouse um, and feeling like that means that I don't love my children, which is totally not true. Because you yeah. can become a far more interesting person, but when your kids come back, you know, you're, yeah. you're also not that mom who was, you know, the soccer mom or whatever. The, uh, right. Because you've ex- 
extended your horizons, and so you become a more interesting person to your own children as they grow. Yeah, well, and I see I've been encouraging parents to do that while the kids are still in the house, but yeah. but if you haven't gotten around to it, you know, yes, you're right. Definitely this is the time and there's no reason to feel guilty about it because it is, you know, boy, you've done a great job as a parent. Pat yourself on the back. They're they're launched. They're um, you know, everything is is, you know, it, the, there are going to be some rocky times as there is in life, but you know, it doesn't mean you have to rescue your children. Every time there is a rocky, a bump in the road, um, and that's another thing I think that now is the time to get over that. You know, it doesn't mean you have to feel guilty every time you get an email from the from the campus saying, get your kid a care package. Yeah. It's Halloween. They need a big box of candy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, there there are a lot of ways that the, that, uh, the, the industry will kind of want to rope you in again. So it's. <laughs> I never fell for that. I want you to know that. This was even before reading your book. Yeah. You know, oh, they're on their own. This is a stepping stone to being able to have your own family if you eventually want to do that. So you've got to learn how to take care of yourself yeah. and go out to the grocery store and buy food if you need it or whatever. You have to just. Uh, and I'm not going to be a part. I was never a part of that. Yes, no, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I, it's, it is amazing to me. I mean, I sort of chuckle, and yet there's a part of me that whenever I get those um, sort of e- those emails and that sort of thing, I say, like, oh, my gosh, should I be sending him a care package? <laughs> and then I have to say, stop it. Just, yeah. no, you'll see he will survive, and, or she will survive. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, we have to say goodbye. Okay. And uh, it was, in, yeah, really enjoyed uh, talking to you this morning about the you book, too. Fun Without Dick and Jane, Your Guide to a Delightfully Empty Nest, Christy Meller. Thank uh, you, you so buy. much for having me. It was just really fun. Good. This was really fun. Online bookstores everywhere. You can purchase the book. And uh, just but a website that we can go to or that listeners can go to if we want to know more about the book. Or... Sure. It's just christymellor.com, Christy with a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-M-E-L-L-O-R.com. Great. Thanks, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Okay. Well, Bye-bye. we're going to take a short break, um, and uh, our next guest is come is uh, is here, Maureen Healy. She's author. She's a parenting expert, and she is author of Growing Happy Kids: How to Foster Inner Confidence, Success, and Happiness. So, don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We all want to be happy, but consider that conventional thinking is what got us where we are now. The good news is there's so much more to know that can give us a new and higher perspective. Tune in to A New View of Life with host Kathy Kirk as we unlock the conversational gridlock in America by exploring new ideas and new information on every aspect of life which is needed to move us not just forward but upward. A New View of Life airs live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back 
Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most, and by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Listen to us every Wednesdays from 10 to 11 Eastern Time. We can listen live, and we archive the show at the end of the day so you can... Uh, listen to the show anytime you want and uh, and uh, get it on your MP3. Joining me this morning is parenting expert Maureen Healy. She's author of Growing Happy Kids, How to Foster Inner Confidence, Success, and Happiness in Your Kids, which, which is what most of us parents want to do but don't necessarily know how. Uh, Maureen also writes a, a blog for Psychology Today. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, and you're also you are on the PBS series. I think that's where I saw you as well. So you are the expert about how you say that everybody can be happy. Um, emotional happiness is for everyone, but we're going to focus mm-hmm. specifically on emotional happiness for our kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, emotional happiness. Everyone, um, and, and I think when we were raising kids 20, 30 years ago, happiness wasn't necessarily the goal, was it, Maureen? It was like be responsible and respectful and uh, accomplish your work, but the word happiness never really came into the picture. Why now? Well, I mean, I think that everyone always wanted their kids to be happy. I just think that we have a different, we, we define it differently, like you're saying. We used to think, okay, if there was a roof over your head and food on the table, that was happiness, but certainly it was. But the idea is that we're looking for something deeper now. We're looking for that place within children where they are uh, peaceful and content and feeling good about themselves and and uh, great no matter what's going on in the outside world. And they're not only having good jobs, but they're living a life that they love and getting a you know being able to live their really to live their dreams. So for us, that's you know happiness today is defined a little bit differently. Yeah. So your happiness is something as you're saying and as you talk about it in your book, is very specific because if you are happy, that whole sense of well-being and being confident is going to help you in your relationships, your connections, your job. Um, so it's, the happiness is kind of very, it's focused. It's not just a la-la kind of happiness. Um, so what do we do? How do we teach our children how to be happy? Because you talk about very specific things that we can do as parents in the book if we want our children to be happy and to be able sure. to accomplish all of these things. Well, at the root of it, the idea of the book, Growing Happy Kids, is about inner confidence and lasting happiness. And the idea is confidence or happiness is merely a skill to master. Like you're saying, anyone can become happier. And uh, in the book, I talk about the five building blocks of confidence that creates confidence, whether it's outer to inner confidence, and uh, how to help kids become happier. So it all begins with helping children nurture in themselves that deeper sense of strength and ability to believe that no matter what's going on in the outside world, that they're capable and able to succeed and persevere. And, you know, that's done in daily activities. And, and certainly the last chapter of my book gives specific examples, whether it's 
you know, meditations or ways to praise them or different ways that you can nurture in children how they can believe in themselves more fully. But there is a, a system that I present called the five building blocks of confidence, and that's really the heart of how to create confidence. Yeah, I want to talk specifically about those, but okay. first you say also how everyone needs a happiness teacher, because I had never really right. heard that before. So, in other words, each child needs this kind of guidance. You need a happiness teacher. You give the example you don't get into a, a car and just start driving the car without a driving lesson. Is it the same thing? Same thing, learning a skill. I mean, exactly. We wouldn't just throw someone the keys to the car and say, hey, figure it out. We would say, hey, that's the gas, that's the bridle. You know, you guide them. And it's the same thing in life about happiness to, you know, figure out what causes happiness and, you know, do those things and what causes unhappiness and don't do them. You know, it's not more complicated than that, but it just hasn't been in our dialogue in the Western world in, in this way. Well, one of the things that you also mentioned, and I, I think that this is, how helping others makes you happier. That's one of the things that you talk about in the book, that it's really important to impart that to kids, that you know, helping others to be happy, whether you're helping walking somebody's dog or you're mm-hmm. organizing a fundraiser, it really doesn't matter what it is, but helping somebody else is one of those things that helps you to be a happier, well-rounded person. Right. And, you know, that's the idea that it's in our enlightened self-interest to help other people. We actually become happier. And it doesn't mean that you're doing anything differently. I mean, it certainly can be, you know, a kid can hold the door open for someone else. Someone can carry someone's books or help your mom. The idea is just those little things every day of praising when they, you know, they're developing that inner sense of generosity and gratitude and compassion, all these other qualities that are making them become happier. So at what age would you start doing that? Because I'm very curious. I mean, you don't have your, you know, do you start at five years old telling, you know, help telling your, or helping your kids to, if you're the happiness teacher, um, it makes you, it will make you be a better person or feel better about yourself and right. help someone else. I mean, is it a four-year-old, a five-year-old? Developmentally, when does this begin? I mean, I think you start in, your, in utero. You start talking to the baby, and then when the child is born, you know, you begin at whatever age-appropriate level, certainly preschool and younger, kids understand how to share toys or not how to share toys. You know, they're, they're learning through not only the clarity of your example, which is so important, but they're learning through, you know, verbal and nonverbal ways. So being that example and in little ways every day, helping them not only help others and share and develop their rich inner life as well as their outer life, that's really... Um, the idea that there is that deeper sense of contentment within them that can be created and that deeper sense of strength because we know that life has obstacles and challenges and the idea is we want to get kids to be not only soft but soft and strong and strong enough to, you know, have the ability to create their happiest lives. So that's really the goal. But I think it starts from the get-go. I don't think we turn on a switch at five or four. I think from the beginning with our intention, if we have the intention to nurturing kids that deeper sense of strength, and ultimately happiness, that's, you know, that's a powerful thing to happen. Yeah, and I think kids who have siblings, it's a perfect opportunity for them to learn in terms of getting along with their siblings um, to, do, you know, show them some of these examples. Avoid the blank. This one, and I think so many of us do it. If not all of us, uh, I'll be happy when. I mean, it seems right. to me that's something that I, I don't know anyone who doesn't say that. Um, some people mm-hmm. more than others, but you say this is really not the thing that's going to make you happy. And I know I do it. Well, I'll be happy once I finish and I get this, you know, my my, uh, my plans 
made for a, a vacation or I, I've, you know, finished this work, I'll be happy, I'll be able to relax, I'll be... Not true. Don't get into that kind of a, a, a mindset. Right. Yeah, when we do that fill in the blank, I'll be happy when, and then, you know, when the kids pick up the books from the ground, when, the, you know, my husband takes out the the garbage without asking, all that fill in the blank stuff, that just keeps getting us hooked and focused on you know, things in the outer world. And the idea is we want to get hooked on that deeper sense of peace and contentment that's in us no matter what. And that's where you have that deeper sense of happiness and that where you can connect to your strength and persevere. So, yeah, whenever we, and it's human, it's just natural. Every, like you said, everyone does it. I'll be happy when, oh, I finished this book or whatever you put the line under. And an idea is to just say, okay, you know, let's just realize that I have a choice to make my happiness right here and right now, no matter what's going on. Maureen, how did you do that for yourself? At what point did you realize that, that my happiness doesn't have to do with all these external kinds of things that I have to accomplish or do or finish, but it has to do with my own inner strength? Um, for you personally, when did you come to this realization? Right. Well, I mean, I, the beginning of the book starts when I lived in Asia at the base of the Himalayas in India. And, you know, I went on a quest myself to certainly discover that deeper sense of strength and ultimately happiness for myself and also professionally because that's what I was seeing, you know. I had seen this big disparity between people who were just happy regardless of things going on in their life and people who just wanted to be happy and there was that big space between. So for me, in my own personal journey, connecting with Eastern philosophy and going to those parts of the world and studying with great teachers was helpful to me because... They, they were very clear on, okay, you do this and you become happy. You do this and you're unhappy. So I was like, oh, I get it now, <laughs> you know. And, then, and developing your own practice of connecting to that place within you that is powerful and great and capable, no matter what is going on, um, on a daily basis, not sporadically every once in a while, but even if it's five minutes every day, saying a prayer or an affirmation or whatever lines you up in your cultural belief or belief system, you know, that's uh, really helpful to get centered. What do we do, though, in this very materialistic society? And we do live within that context. You know, many of us don't have the opportunity to go to Asia or even live there. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, and, and to kind of, yours was more than an epiphany, but because you, you spent quite a bit of time there. But because mm-hmm. um, it's a different way of life, it's a different, uh, you know, the whole external environment and attitude towards life is different. But in our Western culture, I mean, we're so focused on things and materialism and, you know, that's what's going to make us happy, whether it's getting into the best school or driving the biggest mm-hmm. car or having the biggest house. So how mm-hmm. does that fit into trying to, you know, get into being able to be comfortable with our own inner spirit, our own inner happiness? Right. Yeah. Right. How do we recognize yeah, and I'm all for money and abundance, and I, and I think that, you know, like you said, we're living in this planet, earthly world where we've got to create, you know, we've got jobs and work and things and responsibilities, and, and that's all good. And I guess from my standpoint, and that's why I created the, the five building blocks of confidence, how to create that deeper level of confidence where you feel strong and content no matter what, um, is the idea of how do you... Um, as you're living your day-to-day life, keep centering yourself that, you know, the power within within you and that you're capable no matter what, and then centering yourself and getting yourself hooked on the inside versus hooked on the outside. We all, everyone, it's real easy to get hooked on the outside and say, okay, you know, as long as I get that or I do this or I do that, but to really know that regardless of circumstance that you're capable and great and there's, some, there's a power within you to overcome any obstacles and you realize 
you know, it all starts with realizing who you are, that you really do have that capability and that power to not only build a deeper sense of confidence, but happiness really regardless of what's going on. And um, the idea is to spend a little time nurturing your inner life as well as your outer life. That's really a simple answer, but it's certainly a sophisticated question, which is why I wrote a book for 264 pages. But um, certainly the, 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 the five building blocks of confidence in the book is really helpful because the idea is for your children or yourself, quite honestly, you just plug into this system. You see where, you know, you went off and where you can build confidence or happiness as a skill that anyone can build. So that's where it's really, you know, um, very optimistic and, and very practical. Yeah. So in other words, we have to start with, as you say, we're talking about children actually in the book. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and and you start using these confidence builders starting in utero, uh, <laughs> because I think it gets really tough as parents. You know, when your your daughter wants, you know, she's got ten, you know, new dresses in the closet or pants or whatever it is, and wants another new one, or mm-hmm. they want, you know, a new car, or and to be able to and to say no and to not make the, the, your child feel like that they are are less than because they even you even if you can afford it, but you don't want to buy them more stuff, um, mm-hmm. it's or another cell phone or computer, whatever it is. So right. Yeah. Right. And in the second chapter of the book, I, I, I interviewed over 75 parents from around the world. So what I did was asking them, you know, what is it that built that deeper sense of confidence and ultimately happiness? And people said the same thing around the planet, you know, whether it was connecting at dinner time, whether it was doing a bedtime story every, every night, whether it was, you know, talking every day in the car to school. You know, they really, that authentic connection of talking about things that matter it was really um, valuable, and uh, you know, ke- you know, pointing children inward that it's within them that peace and that contentment. Was did you? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I do like to hear about the consistencies. Was there anything that stood out that was very different culturally from around the world? Because you have been around the world, and you've right. you know interviewed all of these children from uh, your global experiences around right. the world, not just here in the United States. So, any major differences that you see that? Um, amongst children in different cultures that mm-hmm. you know it, it you know it's it's not it's the kids that really it, 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 happiness has nothing to do i mean certainly it's easier to feel better temporarily because it's that thing of fleeting happiness and lasting happiness if you have a lot of money but certainly from the looking at children in that perspective you know happy kids it doesn't it, they didn't have anything to do with what they had as far as toys and people it was that that ability to play and express their talents and connect to believe there's something greater within them. You know, it had nothing to do with material stuff. It was really about helping them be who they came here to be on this planet. And if they could do that with, you know, one toy or 10,000 toys, it was, you know, giving them the freedom and to express themselves. And also kids that learn how, like we talked about earlier, to help other, other children and to connect to that place within them that is powerful and, and to really... Um, have the freedom to express themselves. And also, I think a very important piece of the puzzle is children need to have the direct experience of seeing their power. So I had a neighbor who, she did a lemonade stand and made $55, which was great. And she donated it to the Humane Society to help some of the bunnies so they would find good homes. So by her seeing her own power and her doing that at 11 years old, it really boosted her sense of confidence and, and, and happiness that she was able to do that all by herself and it helps her believe in herself. So it really is just giving kids that direct experience. 
Yeah, I think that's a great example, and I think uh, as you talk about, you know, one of the building blocks for confidence or seven keys for helping your child become stronger and happier. Um, Specifically, signing them up, you say, for weekly confidence-building activities. I mean, that's one Mm -hmm. that you just mentioned, but... It, and, and I think that as parents, you have to realize, one can realize that it doesn't have to be some like super duper thing that they have to accomplish, but find out what they're interested in and what they'll do well at. And each kid is different. I think parents uh-huh. sometimes when they have like three or four kids or two kids, they try to put them in the same activities and do the same thing. And what works for one right. doesn't work for the other and may make one feel bad because they don't do it well, whatever it happens to be. But uh-huh. if you have one kid who wants to play a musical instrument and the other one wants to you know, do a sport, then you have to be attuned to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're all born with unique gifts and talents. And, you know, we don't want our kids to be cookie-cutter kids. We want them, the idea is to give them the strength and courage and, and wisdom so that they can be who they came here to be, whatever that might be, you know, whatever their unique talents are. So, you know, it certainly takes... Oftentimes I say, you know, it takes an extraordinary parent to have extraordinary kids, but it does. It's not, you know, not without effort. Of course, there's a, you know, lots of, you know, lots of effort and practice. But the idea is not to give parents more things to do. That's why I created the last chapter with practical exercises and tips and scripts and songs and different things like that so that you can just make your time with your kids more effective and make sure that you're nurturing that deeper sense of confidence and strength so that they, you know, they can have a life that is, really happy and they don't go from joy to pain, joy to pain, that they can experience a deeper sense of happiness and um, not that there won't be obstacles, but they'll know how to persevere and get through them. Maureen, you mentioned create an uplifting space. What do you mean by that? Well, I think on a, a conscious and I'd say subconscious right below the consciousness is, you know, we're very impacted by spaces around us. So, you know, if a child has a corner or their own room, somewhere in the house where they have not only their trophies displayed, but, you know, you're encouraging your dreams, whether it's a vision board or it's their favorite colors or favorite toys or whatever, a, a favorite picture of their grandparents or maybe the horses if they want to be a, um, you know, a horse trainer someday, just encouraging their dreams so that when they go into their space or their shared space or whatever it is, they feel really valued and encouraged and uplifted that, you know, that their parents and family members or parents, if someone believes in them, I think that that is crucial. And, uh, you know, that there are things that really, you know, lift their spirits or there, whether it's music or something else. I think that's important, and I I think maybe it doesn't have to be that they have their own room, they can share their room with a, a sibling, but they have, there's some little space somewhere that they can call their own, wherever it is. Right. Um, and that that's important to nurture that. I think that is, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And also right. you talk about playing more, because I think kids right. are playing less. They're more uh-huh. involved in activities. They're very structured, going from one thing to the next, feeling like they have to, you know, accomplish all, you know, areas uh-huh. of, uh, you know, whether it's sports or music or whatever their thing is, but, you know, uh, and, and, and they really do play less, just, play to enjoy right. themselves. So how do you right. do that as a parent? How do you get your kid to do that? Right. Well, nowadays, yeah. at least from my perspective, you know, lots of kids are real just overscheduled and keeping really busy, and that's not a bad thing, certainly. But, you know, I want to make sure that whatever activities they're involved in, you know, of course they're enjoying, but also, you know, there's someone who's giving them what I would call confidence feedback loops at regular 
feedback on a weekly and, you know, it'd be great for daily, but certainly on a weekly basis, there's something greater in them that they, you know, they're doing a great job. They have a power within, but also that, you know, the activities that they're doing are building their deeper sense of confidence and that they do also have, like you're mentioning, free time, time to just imagine. Like I used to go in my backyard and just build forts. I mean, you just had time to just imagine and play and not be so structured. So, to have that kind of balance between really getting them involved in activities and giving them time, whether it means blocks or crayons or good old-fashioned paints on the kitchen table, that they can make something and they can use their imagination, I think, is really valuable and allows them to dream. You know, maybe they make a dream journal or a little kid's bucket list, right, all the things they want to do, you know, giving them that power and encouraging them to think big, I think, is really helpful. How important is physical activity for for well-being and happiness for children? Oh, it's crucial. Uh, You know, without uh, physical health, you can't be emotionally healthy. So physical health is the basis, meaning, so for example, say someone was really, a child was depressed. They physically, you know, there's a chemical imbalance in their brains. They physically can't even feel or think a confident, a better thought. So, you know, a child's brain and body has to be working for them. So sleeping, eating well, um, you know, all sorts of exercise on a regular basis. We don't realize how, how important it is because it is really not only sending off, you know, positive endorphins and uh, positive feel-good chemicals, but it's also, you know, strengthening them on a physical and emotional level. It's setting themselves up to uh, think and feel good about themselves. So it's really, it's really crucial. And I'm not saying that kids need to be athletic. No one, not every kid needs to be a soccer superstar, but, you know, you match the child to what interests them. So if they like to garden, maybe you garden, or if they like to go for hikes, maybe you go for a hike. It doesn't have to be high activity, but certainly movement, tai chi, karate, yoga, you know, whatever is uh, appealing to them. It's valuable to get them involved in a weekly basis on something. Well, and it seems to me, I mean, if you were looking at some of the statistics about what kids are doing or not doing, the kids are getting they're doing less activity, they're fatter, mm-hmm. they're obese, so they're not eating well, making poor choices in terms of the food that they eat, and not sleeping enough because they are over-involved, doing too many activities. And are we heading in that direction? I mean, I mean, everything that you say I think is so important, and how do we get kids to be involved and to, to kind of follow uh, you know, what you're talking about in the book, because it, it doesn't on some level seem to be happening. We seem to be going in the opposite direction, poor choices for all of these things that we've described. Right, right. Well, the book Growing Happy Kids, you know, talks about how it developed a deeper sense of confidence, but I, but it, it starts with, you know, uh, us as role models, quite honestly. So, you know, children are wonderful. They just follow the leader. There's no question that they're following our lead. So it's, you know, it's a practice. So it's really looking to, you know, feel physically healthy then emotionally healthy and mentally healthy. So the idea is that, you know, you you pick something you want to improve in your life and you help, you know, improve that as a family, whether maybe it's eating, you know, maybe you want to improve everyone's nutrition or maybe we want to exercise as a family more. Maybe we want to add a daily meditation every Sunday, you know, once a week. You know, so we, we just, you know move in the direction of, you know, there's no confidence and happiness magic wand, but it's a practice and a skill that we can develop and we can develop in our children. So the idea is to keep practicing.
Yeah, and you. I think that's the beauty of your book because you, as you say, and you mentioned it earlier, there's some just very specific things that you talk about in the book, and mm-hmm. very specific kinds of exercises and stuff that people can really hone in on. Uh, there's also a book video, as I understand it, GrowingHappyKids.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on GrowingHappyKids.com, my website, you can see a video where I talk about the book. There's also a free book excerpt, and uh, you can see more information about it. Certainly. Yeah, it's a, what, what do we want to leave? But we have a couple more minutes left. So, um, what have we not covered that we need to cover, and that uh, you know, what do we want to leave our listeners with today? Sure. I mean, I guess what I would say is, regardless of your experience or circumstance or whatever you find yourself in, or whatever you're dealing, whatever challenge, whether it's a bully, whether it's you know, what school do I send my child to next year, or how am I going to get am I going to get through this obstacle? Whatever it is, you know, developing that deeper type of strength, that inner confidence, and ultimately lasting type of happiness is possible for anyone, any parent, any guardian, any caregiver, any child. So it's really just learning how to develop those skills and plug into that system, and that will just help make your life work in an easier and better way. So um, I talk more about that in the book, Growing Happy Kids, and that's really the intention of the book is to, you know, spread more happiness for everyone. Well, it's been great talking to you today. Parenting expert Maureen Healy, author of Growing Happy Kids, How to Foster Inner Confidence, Success, and Happiness. Have a great day. Have a happy day. Thank you, too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, and I'm your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Hope you have a, a great week. I hope you enjoyed the morning, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.